called the gift. And if you weren't here last week, we discussed Psalm 68 and what a psalm it was, the psalm of David. As we look at the gift of Christmas, the greatest, most precious gift that has ever been given to us, which is Christ himself, Emmanuel, God with us. Last week, Psalm 68, David actually gives us this psalm that looks back to the gifts that were given to the divine warrior, the Lord himself. During the days of Moses, after God's people had been delivered from slavery in Egypt, they take all the gold, the silver, and the clothes as plunder from the Egyptians, and they present this gold, silver, and clothing that they have as gifts unto the Lord to build the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. Now let me read it for you in case you don't really think that I'm I'm telling the truth here. So let me read it for you. I love to read the scriptures so that you can hear from the text itself of what I'm talking about. In Exodus 35, 20, it says this, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were a willing heart, brought brooches, earrings, signet rings, armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linens or goat's hair or tanned ramskins. I don't know if anyone's presenting tanned ramskins this morning. But they did. Goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with their hands. And they all brought what they had, spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. Interesting there. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Amen? So God frees them from Egypt, allows them to receive these gifts from the Egyptians, the plunder from Egypt, and they present it back to the Lord God himself as a free will offering 
to God. This is what it means in Psalm 68, 18 from last week. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. But we're looking at Ephesians 4, 8 this morning, which says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, there, there, last week we talked about this discrepancy between Psalm 68, which says that he receives gifts, the Lord himself is receiving gifts, and Paul, which is obviously quoting Psalm 68, but he's saying that he gives gifts to men. So which is it? Is the Lord receiving gifts or is he giving gifts? He's doing both. And that's where Paul is bringing this out in the the book of Ephesians. Because what happens when Israel presents their offering, their free will offering to the Lord God himself, we're going to read it here in a minute, but God then gives it back to the people to build what? The tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. So here it is, Exodus 35, 30. Here it is. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, see, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of her of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the spirit of God with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. Now, now we're getting to spiritual giftings here, right? When we're understanding these gifts presented to the Lord, and now God is presenting them back. He's using the skill set. He's emplacing the skill set on these people in order to build what? The tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. I'm going to keep reading verse 32 to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for every skilled craft and he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholab Oholab yeah there you go the son of Ahashmak of the tribe of Dan he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by designer or embroider in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver or any sort of workman or skilled designer Bezalel and Aholab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Here it is, verse 2, chapter 36. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to do the work. And what? And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. So which one is it, right? Is it receiving gifts or is it giving gifts? It's both. We present our lives unto the Lord. He empowers our life to be used to build the dwelling place of God. So the gifts 
are presented before the Lord, then he distributes them to build the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. So it's not only pointing us backward, but it's pointing us forward to the divine warrior, Christ himself, who will conquer sin and death and Satan. And after receiving those who are in bondage, he empowers them by his spirit to build the dwelling place of God, which is now the church, the people of God. So we present ourselves before the Lord. He empowers our life to be used for his glory. Mm. So we have to lay this foundation to understand this passage this morning. So I hope you, you stayed with me here as we walk into the text. The goal of Christ's gift this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. We stand in honor of reading God's word here at Northwest because we believe this is the infallible truth of God's word And it gives us life. So let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that impacts how we live our life, what we give our life to. Father, we pray that we would present ourselves as a holy offering unto you, Father, and that you would use us to further your glory to the ends of the earth. Father God, may we be touched by your word. May we respond to the truths that we hear and be people who present, Father, our life as an offering, as a gift unto you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, in 2 Corinthians 9, 15 The gift that Christ gave is called the inexpressible gift. I think David actually used that phrase this morning. The inexpressible gift. And in the New Living Translation, it says, So great that no one can tell how wonderful it really is. It's inexpressible. It's so great. No one even can tell how great it truly is. A couple years back, I, uh, we were exchanging gifts with our extended family. And uh, so my brother, my sister, my, my parents, our extended family. And um, usually when we exchange gifts, um, it's about 
25 to 30 dollars i mean that that's that's about the range you you go over that you're kind of looked at as wow you really went overboard this year if you get to 40 you're like man that's a lot and i thought i had done really well um this year uh, i got my my brother a nice eddie bauer flannel okay so Think about that. An Eddie Bauer flannel. And I was thinking, you know what? I'll go on Black Friday. I'll get it half off at $15. He'll think that it's a $30 gift. I'll get his size, large, tall, which Eddie Bauer has the large, tall. So I'll get his size and he'll think that it's the greatest gift ever, right? And so I'm giving this great gift of this flannel, you know, that I bought for 15 bucks, but I acted like I paid 30 and he opens the gift and I kind of stick out my chest and I'm thinking, man, I did it. And he, he kind of nonchalantly goes, Hey, your gifts in the garage. Thinking my gifts in the garage, you know, (laughs) what, what Is, is it heat sensitive? I mean, is is this, you know, one of those Omaha steaks, you know, for 30 bucks? I mean, what what is this? What could this be? And uh, I walk out into the garage and there's a brand new mower. And I'm thinking, that's not $30. And uh, I guess my wife had told him, hey, get him a gift card, which means get him a $30 gift card to Lowe's because he needs a new mower. And he says to me, you know, I knew you needed a mower um, so instead of giving you a gift card, I just bought you one. Yeah. As my jaw drops to the floor. As you heard last week, my, my uh, love language, one of my love languages, gift giving, right? And suddenly a burst of joy and love fills my heart. And I'm, I'm reminded of my brother's love for me, right? In this moment. But this is how we ought to feel when we are reminded of the extravagant gift of Christ, coming down from heaven to earth to be born as a baby, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's not where it ends. That's not where the story ends. Not only to be born as a baby, coming down from heaven, but to give his life as a ransom for sinners like me upon the cross. It's the greatest gift, y'all. But, but the thing is, 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 is the gift of Christ isn't for us to be just left standing there with our jaw on the floor, but to respond in kind in giving our life to be used for his glory. It is a great exchange as Christ gives his life now to live through you. There is a purpose to the gift, and we find that in today's scriptures, that he might fill all things. You see, this is the goal of Christ's gift. The glory of God filling the earth. Mm. We offer our lives to the king as servants in order for the king to empower us to extend his glory to the ends of the earth. Let's look at verse 7 together. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is our first point this morning. Christ's gift was given because of his grace. Christ's gift was given as a result of God's grace. We've been studying the Old Testament this year. We've gone through every book of the Old Testament in one passage or another. And in in understanding this, we see this, this word, the steadfast love of the Lord all the way through the scriptures. And God in giving his gift of Christ is a result of his steadfast love. But grace is really defined in the biblical sense as the undeserved favor of God, where mercy is withholding reserved punishment from God. There's a difference there. One is the favor. You didn't merit this favor, but God grants his favor upon you. One is you deserve punishment and judgment, and he's withholding the punishment or judgment from you. Christ does both by his gift. He takes on the deserved punishment of the wrath of God for sinners, while at the same time conquering sin and death and Satan, and then giving gifts or favor to his people. It's not only that he saves us as the church, but then he bestows his favor upon us by saying, I'm going to come and live in you. And I'm going to use you for my purposes and my kingdom advancing to the ends of the earth. That I might fill all things. Do you know, church, what it means to have the favor of God upon your life? Do you know what that means? Not only does he declare you forgiven and set free, but then he says, I want to give you gifts so that you can be a part of the building of the kingdom of God. Listen to what Paul says about his calling as a servant of God. This is what he says earlier in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. That word diakonos in there is servant. I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. It was not enough for God to say 
to Paul, you're forgiven of your sins. He said, now I want to give you gifts to be a servant for the kingdom of God. You see that, church? We're not saved just so we can go to heaven. We're saved so that we can extend God's reign and rule here on this earth. You see, it's something to be used by God for the glory of God. This is so important to the Christian life. It's so important to not being stale or fake or burned out, okay? It's truly not the best preaching. It's not the best worship. It's not the best physical structure of the building, which we do have those things. We have do those things well. It's not even the community or the people that you love that keeps people in the gathering of believers. It is when we are used by God for his glory that keeps people engaged in the mission of God and to one another in the gathering. It is the Spirit of God empowering you to do the work of the ministry and building the kingdom that causes you to want to gather together as the church. You see, Christ's gift here in this text is immeasurable. And thus, you have been given an immeasurable gift. As the spirit of the living God comes to dwell inside of you. The measure of Christ's gift. Well, his gift was immeasurable. Therefore, God says, I will come and dwell inside of you, my church, the people of God. Verse 8. Therefore, it says... Therefore, it says, it's not usually used with therefore it says and then quoting an Old Testament scripture, but it is here. Why? Because the importance of Christ's gift is now that we receive gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? This is our second point this morning. God gives spiritual gifts to man. So as a result of Christ's gift, God now gives spiritual gifts to man. So Remember our friends, Bezalel and Aholab, right? Our friends who built the tabernacle. Grace was given to them to empower them at the time to build the dwelling place of God. God came and dwelt among men in the tabernacle during the time of Moses. It would later become the temple, and now it is the church. As the God comes down and descends upon the apostles in Pentecost, in tongues of fire, as they come upon now, which is the temple, the people of God, his church. 
And now he gives gifts to men and women to build up the church, the dwelling place of God. Peter talks about this as well. 1 Peter 2, 4. As you come to him, a living stone. What's a living stone? You are a living stone. Why? Because you're building the the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. Rejected by men, but in the sight of of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So in a way, you are presenting yourself As a living sacrifice, your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. As you present yourself to the Lord, he empowers you by his spirit. So he gives you gifts back to you to build his kingdom. This is how God builds his kingdom through his people. It's, in, it's important enough for us to understand this concept. And we can really only understand this concept through studying the Old Testament scriptures to get us to understand what is Paul actually talking about here. It's, it's also important enough in this text for Paul to explain the ascension by calling Attention to the descension. Look at it there, verse 9 in parentheses. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? That he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. <clears throat> what does Paul mean by this? Well, the mountain of the Lord, we studied this back in the Old Testament as well. The mountain of the Lord is seen throughout the Bible as the place where heaven and earth meet. The presence of God now dwelling among man. It begins in the Garden of Eden, right? The presence of God walks with Adam and Eve through the cool of the day in the garden. The mountain of God, Ezekiel describes the Garden of God as the mountain of God. There's a single river flowing out to form four rivers, signifying that it is some type of mountain. This garden later actually becomes the tabernacle, which the tabernacle is set up to to look like the Garden of Eden. And later the temple as the place where heaven and earth intersect. And the psalmist actually asked the question in chapter 24, who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? Right, the, the flaming sword as the cherubim guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden. Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? No one can ascend the mountain of the Lord because of their sin. No one can ascend the mountain of God, the dwelling place of God. It's just as we read earlier, who, who will open the scroll. It's sealed. And yet Christ comes from high and he 
descends to what? To bring us with him in his ascension to the mountain of God. The Christmas story, the angel declares this to Joseph saying, Matthew 1.21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. It's the mercy of God, right? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he not only comes down, right? And Paul's bringing this out. The mount, from the mountain in which the place where God dwells, he descends. He comes down to the broken earth to take on flesh, to become a servant. And not just any servant, but the servant who would hang on a cross and die. And now the descension of Christ as he continues to go lower, born as a baby, and then going lower, being a servant, and then going lower, and being humiliated upon a cross, and going lower to death, and buried in a tomb, brings about the ascension of Christ. Because of his death and his descension from heaven, down to the tomb, now he can bring those who are down here in, and, and, and in sin and death and raise them to be with God in eternity in the mountain of God. He has broken the curse of sin and death and now he brings new life. It is he who will lead those who have been captive to sin and death up the mountain and into the presence of God forever. It is this victory that in which he now has the ability to distribute gifts to, the, to God's people for a purpose. And Paul tells us, what that purpose is in the next line. So we understand, let's read again, just, just so we'll make sure everybody understands. Verse eight, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He descended so that he can ascend, so that he can give gifts. For what reason? What reason, Paul, did he do this? Why did he do this? Tell me the reason. Well, here it is. Look at what it says. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. Why? That he might fill all things. Now we're getting somewhere. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So here's our third point this morning. God's goal is to fill the earth with his glory. 
that he might fill all things. God's goal in giving spiritual gifts to men is to fill the earth with his glory. What was Adam and Eve's purpose? Did anybody know? Genesis 1, let's read it. What was Adam and Eve put on this earth to do? And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's the same purpose. The same purpose in the beginning to Adam and Eve is the same purpose in which he gives his church to fill the earth with the glory of God. You understand that as image bearers who reflect the nature and the character of God, filling the earth with his glory through his creation, his people. Habakkuk 2.14 says it better than I could ever say it. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's, that's the purpose he might fill all things. The glory of God filling the earth. What a, what a concept. So he gives gifts. Why? To further the kingdom so the glory of God would fill the earth. At the end of Psalm 68, I need to read the last verse of Psalm 68. It says this. Psalm 68, 35. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Isn't that interesting? He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. I could probably preach on this text for days. But he gave leaders to the church. Praise God for the apostles who walked with Jesus, who were foundations of the church. Praise God for the prophets who were, who were given the understanding of the writing of the scripture in which we have the scriptures today. Praise, praise God that, that we have evangelists. Praise God that we have shepherds and teachers today in which shepherd God's people and teach God's word, proclaim the word of the Lord, to extend the word of the Lord. These are gifts given to the church by God himself. And what are they supposed to do? These leaders in the church, they equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the work of service in the kingdom of God. To build up the body of Christ for the glory of God, to fill the earth. Isn't that beautiful? 
You might be saying to yourself, oh, that God would use me for a purpose. Oh, that God would give me a ministry, a service unto him. Oh, that God would give me an empowerment of the Spirit to build up the body of Christ. Oh, that God would use me to equip God's people for the work of ministry, to build God's church, the dwelling place of God. Oh, that God would use me just like these these. I'm going to call them kids because they're, they're younger than me. But these kids to go to the ends of the earth. God wants to use you. That's why he created you. He wants to put his spirit inside of you. But we have to lay our life down so he can take our life and make it useful for what he wants to do according to his spirit. Oh, that we, the church, would be the light of the world. In 2018, Ross Edgley, I was uh, <clears throat> watching a few documentaries and I came across this guy's name, Ross Edgley. In 2018, he swam 1,780 miles spanning 157 days around the island of Great Britain. So he'd swim for six hours, he'd get in the boat, he'd eat, take a break for about an hour, swim six more hours, 12 hours a day. That was his regiment. The boat had GPS, so they they didn't skip any places, okay? 157 days swimming 12 hours a day, right? Even if he did skip a couple feet, it's okay. He survived 37 jellyfish stings, including a giant one that attached to his face while he was in a whirlpool. He said he couldn't stop. He just had to keep swimming. His tongue rotted because of the amount of salt intake into his mouth. He hurt his shoulder, which is useful for swimming, right? He had an open neck wound from the chafing of the wetsuit that he put like tons of Vaseline on that wouldn't, wouldn't go away. Oh, by the way, these waters are icy waters. Cold, his feet were bruised from all the, the kicking. The reason he did it, he was training on a marine base to do the longest open water swim to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. And one of the old Marines told him, son, that's not much of a challenge. And he kind of looked at him like, what are you talking about? This is the Guinness Book of World Records for an open swim. I'm training for that. And the old man, the old Marine said, swimming around the island of Great Britain, that would be a real feat. I say all this to say the spirit of the living God lives inside of you to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. We often think we cannot do that. It's too hard. It's too much work. And yet God wants to say to us, I am with 
you. That's what he says in the Great Commission, doesn't he? I am with you. So if Ross can train himself and plan to swim around the Isle of Great Britain, what can we do as the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, to fill the earth with the glory of God? What can we do in this room? We have the Spirit of God living with us, empowering us to do the work of ministry. Let us remind ourselves of that. What we have to do is humbly submit our lives to him to be used for the glory of God. We're going to take some time right now to pray. And I want us in this room to just take a moment to pray. And hopefully this is the beginning. Maybe maybe for some of you you've done this on a regular basis, but maybe maybe today is a beginning. It's a start. It's a fresh start for you. But just saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Right? Just asking the Lord instead of having your your plan of of what you think you ought to do and, and how you ought to do it and what needs to be done is just coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, let me offer to you my life. And we will see God do amazing things for the kingdom of God. I believe it. So let's spend some time in prayer asking the Lord what he wants from us this Christmas season. So as our worship team comes up this morning, I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to respond in worship as we can offer our lives unto the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because he wants to take what we have to empower it and be used for the kingdom of God the glory of God to the ends of the earth. Lord, that we are here today as your people to do what you've called us to do. Father, whatever we have, we offer to you to be used for your kingdom and your glory, your purposes to fill the earth. And Father, what do you want from us as a church? What do you want from us as individuals, as families? We pray that you would make those things known to us. We pray that you would do extraordinary things that we could never imagine. Not because we are good, but because a result of your grace that you bestow upon us as a result of Christ's gift. 
Father, we pray that our offerings of our lives to you would produce, Father, people who have giftings and talents that you have given them that build your kingdom. We pray for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us respond and worship.